Khuni, The Crimes of India is a thoroughly researched podcast that uses publicly available documents, reports and books and associated media to provide listeners with a complete picture of the week's case. The following content is often graphic and regularly uncomfortable. Mentions of assault, bodily harm and death may follow. Khuni, The Crimes of India does not condone any actions mentioned in the episode. Minors are advised to exercise caution before proceeding. Thank you. Namaste, namaskaram. Welcome back to another Khuni episode. Today we are back after a break. with the story of a sensational murder that took place in Mumbai in 2008 ah uh, 2008 when sneha <laughs> and i were bright and shiny 18 year olds taking our entrance exams for law school oh god i remember those days heady days man imagine <laughs> this tiny aditi <laughs> and tiny sneha trying to cram up gk and law and also yeah. i was 17 okay you were like months away from 18 ah uh. <laughs> Anyway, so for this story, uh, we have mainly relied on Nina Bagheer's excellent book Death in Mumbai and some other reports all of which will be linked in the show notes as always. Please do check out the book. It's a very interesting read. Yeah, so Meena Bagheel goes into a lot of detail about Ekta Kapoor and how Bollywood immediately pounced on the murder so they could profit off it. Yeah, it's very funny. So 100% this story is a quintessential Mumbai story. That's not to say that murders don't happen in other towns, but you'll see what I'm talking about eventually. <laughs> Sidebar: Aditi loves Mumbai. I do. It's true. Anyway, so like I was saying, uh, the story is a quintessential Mumbai story. But since I'm telling it, I have chosen to begin in my own neighborhood with an elderly couple, Neelam and Amarnath Grover in Kanpur, Uttar Pradesh. So Neelam Grover was a mother, grandmother, and homemaker in her fifties. Both the children had grown up and left the nest. Her daughter Shikha was married with kids. Her son, who she affectionately called Ginny, was all the way in Mumbai living by himself and working in the entertainment industry. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Ginny was not just their pride and joy. He was being groomed by his father Amarnath to take over their stationery and photocopy shop on Mall Road in Kanpur. Amarnath Grover had found stability very late in life like until he was in his 40s he had a traveling job that needed him to be away from his wife and kids for very long periods of time and he hated it when he couldn't take it any longer he borrowed some money from friends and set up the shop at Mall Road which now sustained their family Ginny was the son and as is the tradition in Indian business families the shop was supposed to go to the son Ginny on the other hand was petrified at the thought of doing that i think this is the thought process that a lot of us from small towns especially in the north have myself included we love our towns we love coming back for short stays but we dread the thought of making a living here for ginny that meant applying for a postgraduate mass comm degree at amity university amarnath was heartbroken but he agreed to pay for it and let his son move to noida From Noida, Ginny went to Mumbai to work in the entertainment industry, where he worked for several production houses, including a five-month stint at Balaji Telefilms, mm-hmm. which produced all the shows our moms loved in the early 2000s. 
His latest job was for Synergy Ad Labs. His line of work was grueling. He worked odd hours and things had been worse in fact when he had been with Balaji where Ekta Kapoor not only kept weird hours but was also known for her fits of rage. But things were going well overall. Ginni had suggested that his parents wind up the shop in Kanpur and move to Mumbai to be with him. He had recently introduced a girl to his parents and they were going to get married. The Grovers were in the process of selling their bungalow in Kanpur to initiate the shift to Mumbai. On the night of 6th May 2008, Neelam Grover spoke to her son at about 11:15 p.m. just as the day was about to end. It was their little ritual. They always spoke to each other twice a day, once in the morning and once at night. So, driven by habit, she woke up on 7th May and placed her usual morning call. Only this time there was no answer. Okay, no worries. She'd wait and call after 10 minutes. But she tried again and again and Ginny did not return any of her calls or take any of them. By now, she was worried. So, she called up her daughter Shikha to see if she had any recent contact with her brother. Shikha called up their cousin in Mumbai who used to share a flat with Ginny in Mumbai. This cousin hadn't heard from him either. but for the first time he had some troubling information ginny had left home the previous night and hadn't returned he had also not gone to work shikha was worried shikha called up her mother and lied to her that she was able to get in touch with ginny after all and he was on a shoot ginny was a creative producer so neelam grover was pacified for the time being Shikha on the other hand was getting increasingly paranoid. She kept calling her brother throughout the day. Between 4 and 5 p.m. in the evening, finally one of Shikha's numerous calls got answered. Someone picked up the phone, but it wasn't Ginny who answered. In fact, all she heard was some indistinguishable muffled sounds and a bit of wind. Neelam Grover called up her son as per their decided schedule at night. She had already dismissed the morning missed call as an aberration. This time, someone actually answered the phone, but it wasn't Ginny. It was Harish, his other flatmate. Neeraj had gone out the night before. That is the sixth of May. He had never returned. In fact, he hadn't even gone to work that day. No one could trace him. His friends had lodged a missing persons complaint in the police station. I think this is all our parents' worst nightmare, right? True. I remember the first time I was ever on my own, like really, truly on mm. my own. I think it was mostly during internships in law school, right? We had to intern yeah, every yeah. semester break, and usually we would intern either in Delhi or Mumbai, and we lived on shoestring budgets in shady PGs to save <laughs> as much money as possible. I mean, I don't think if my parents ever saw the kind of PGs I was living in, uh, they would have let me stay there. Same, I, same, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> same. Remember that one PG we both stayed in uh, that had like literal cockroaches in the bed frame. <laughs> It was so dude, dude. <laughs> I legitimately think that place is haunted. Yeah. And I will reiterate whenever <laughs> you ask me for the rest of my <laughs> life. I know. Oh my God, that was so bad. Anyway, so. Our parents used to call us every day, sometimes multiple times a day. And there was this one time in Delhi, I was interning with a Supreme Court <laughs> lawyer. And basically, you have to attend court throughout the day till about four, and then you come back to the lawyer's office. So till the time we were in court, our phones would be switched off, right? 
so i think mm. my mother either forgot about this or she hadn't or i hadn't mentioned it to her but uh, she did the same thing neelam grover was doing she kept calling me throughout the day and my phone was switched off for most part and she couldn't get in touch with me so she panicked and she called all our relatives in delhi and basically all our relatives everywhere all over india and uh, they were and she just she was crying and wailing on the phone that i wasn't answering her phone it was insane damn that must <laughs> have been awful yeah so anyway i switch on my phone and immediately there's a barrage of messages and phone calls from everywhere everyone is hysterical everyone is yelling at me it was insane one time when she couldn't get in touch with me she actually called my boss it was a new job it was my first job ever after graduating at the time i was furious but now partly because of my true crime obsession and partly because i'm older i kind of get it yeah man we used to think nothing could happen to us remember all the shit we got up to in delhi yes in <laughs> delhi yeah i know and gurgaon <laughs> yeah and <laughs> even though we were in terrible cities okay like delhi and gurgaon yeah. and we often had to work late at our internships and we lived in shady as pgs <laughs> we thought our parents were overreacting yeah but yeah again haunted P- pgs and all good times those yep yep uh lajpat nagar pg yes we were so stupid like not stupid enough to not be on guard but stupid enough to berate our parents for worrying <laughs> yeah like you can just disappear one day women get picked up on roads in moving vehicles and we only hear about them because someone was looking for them or their bodies were discovered later so even though this is pretty morbid we want to tell all the kids listening to us because there are a lot of kids who've recently started college you know late than what they would have actually started <laughs> yes take care guys your parents will worry and insist on calling you a lot when you first leave the nest fight the urge to be irritated with them This isn't just for the girls this is a PSA for everyone everyone it's normal to feel invincible and independent when you're in a different city on your own but you are never too invincible to be abducted hurt or killed and one more thing there should be a routine between you and your parents or you and some friend they should know that you will be checking in at a decided time and if you don't they should know to raise alarm you can never be too careful yeah like if you're on a trip that your parents don't know about make sure you have a system with your friends or a sibling i think a lot of girls just learn to do this in their lifetime out of necessity but honestly this is mm. a good practice for everybody okay wow anyway <laughs> let's let's come back to this story because if we start on this tangent we can just <laughs> keep going on about all the incidents that have happened to aditi and i in delhi so it's okay Anyway, on 7th May 2008, Ginny's family had called him 130 times in total. And barring that one call between 4 p.m. and 5 p.m., all had gone unanswered. And then later in the night, they found out that Ginny was officially missing. So on 8th May 2008, Amarnath Grover and his brother-in-law Satnam Arora flew to Mumbai to find out what happened to him. So Ginny was not how he was known in Mumbai. to his friends and colleagues he was neeraj it is common for indian parents at least in up and bihar to give cutesy embarrassing <laughs> pet names to their kids and <laughs> i'm not going to divulge aditi's name here <laughs> anyway in mumbai neeraj was an outgoing and well spoken man exactly the kind of person who would do well in the entertainment industry most of the details on neeraj's life 
in Mumbai came from journalist Neena Bagel's book, which is linked in our show notes. Neeraj had his own circle in Mumbai, all of whom were young 20-somethings like him, hustling in the entertainment industry. Neeraj himself was 25. Like most younglings who moved to Mumbai and are daunted by the astronomical rents in the city, he shared his flat with a friend and a cousin. And the cousin was married, so his wife lived there as well. So, Neeraj and his friend were sharing a flat with a family? Yup. Kids and everything. Wow. Mumbai is brutal. Yeah. I mean, UPIs and Biharis keep migrating there in hordes, so how can I blame Mumbai? (laughs) Anyway, so you would think that his cramped living situation would have been like a considerable damper on his (laughs) dating life. Sort of like cramped his style. But all his friends and... Everyone else who knew him almost unanimously agreed that Neeraj was a bit of a Casanova. Apparently, there was no dearth of good-looking women in Mumbai. Plus, these guys are all in the entertainment industry. Yeah, that's what they said. And Neeraj was very smooth with the woman he met. But never faithful. Yeah, that seems to be the general consentiment <laughs> even among his closest friends. <laughs> like Meena Bagel tracked down and interviewed some of his Mumbai friends and some from his time at Amity, and they all agreed that he had a real problem. It seems Neeraj had a commitment issue. He loved being in the company of girls. He was rarely single, and while he was with the women, he was charming. But he would lose interest very quickly as well. Neeraj was like a tourist in his own relationships. It was great while it lasted, but it never really lasted very long, and soon he was on to his next destination. And no one, no one was off limits to Neeraj. Meaning, Neeraj had no issues going after women who were already in relationships. This habit often devastated the lives of the women who risked their relationships to be with him, but never had any impact on Neeraj's life. But this was about to change soon, very soon. So in April of 2008, Neeraj was going out with an actress from Karnataka, who had come from Bangalore to try her luck in television or films. Her name was Maria Susairaj. So the timeline of this relationship is not very clear to us. Uh, They had known each other for a while before they embarked on their relationship. In 2008, Maria was living in Mumbai with a choreographer friend of hers who was also from Bangalore. She had auditioned for a role in Mahabharat, which was a show being produced by Balaji Telefilms. At the time, it seems Neeraj was still with Balaji Telefilms as a creative producer. So I have no idea about the job profile of a creative producer. Uh, as per my own limited understanding of show business, I can say that a producer's job is mostly execution of concepts. I'm not sure how much a creative producer would be involved with castings, but Neeraj definitely led Maria to believe that he had considerable influence over Ekta Kapoor, who was the matriarch at the at Balaji Telefilms? She wow. believed, yeah, she believed that he could help her land the role at Mahabharat. But Neeraj's friends, though, had a different story to tell. It appears that Maria's audition had not gone well. Uh, first of all, she had auditioned for the role of Draupadi, no less. Uh, she had struggled with the chaste Hindi dialogues, and Neeraj had behaved like a typical obnoxious North Indian and made fun of her accent <laughs> behind her back. Plus, Meena Bagel actually spoke to Ekta Kapoor about Neeraj. Ekta remembered him. Uh, Apparently, he was a shy, soft-spoken dude at work. 
Beyond that, he didn't make much of an impression on her. She was genuinely surprised to come to know about his womanizing ways. And it's not clear how serious their relationship was either. So remember in the beginning of the episode we had talked about Neeraj's plans to get married? Maria was not the girl he had introduced to his parents. So all the while his parents were actually selling their house in Kanpur so they could move to Mumbai all under the impression that their son would get married in December 2008 Neeraj was romancing Maria so, so if you read Meena Bagge's book you will see that Maria was also beginning to have her doubts about Neeraj she would constantly ask his friends about him and whether he could be trusted she was worried that he would break her heart but the thing is Maria had a little secret of her own and his name was Emil Jerome Matthew okay so let's go into maria's background a little bit first maria came from a well to do family in mysore she had a brother and a sister maria was the artist and she was known for her dancing and singing in school maria had high hopes of becoming an actress she modeled for a bit then went to bangalore to try her hand at kannada movies and then she went to mumbai and all of this was a major struggle for her wouldn't this be a struggle for everyone I mean people go to Mumbai in droves man how many actually make it not many i mean it's brutal but unlike a lot of those people maria had a little bit of an advantage she was rich at mm-hmm. least comparatively so maria actually came to mumbai twice the first stint was unsuccessful uh, but she was offered a role in a kannada film by the filmmaker sachin pilgaonkar the film is called ek dant uh, it is a remake of pilgaonkar's own marathi film The movie came out in 2007. Sneha and I haven't seen it, but as far as we could tell, Maria is not the lead in the movie. Maria is castigated for her looks, though, so much. Yeah, uh, it's mostly Neeraj's friends in the beginning who have a lot of opinion on her looks, how she's not fair enough, and how she had very prominent dark circles. Ah, the same problems all North Indians have with South Indians. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> also, oh my God, I can't. I just can't with. all the opinions on her dark circles i have seen before and afters of people with a full face of makeup including mine <laughs> really doesn't fucking matter how dark your dark circles are or how many pimples you have on your face once you put on that makeup you look completely flawless trust me <laughs> i do this when i shoot my uke videos i do this also general psa for all the girls who think that they have like a dark circle problem just 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 find a concealer that matches you that's it or just put raw aloo paste on it before you go to bed <laughs> that's it honestly at this point of our time where we are living right now nothing is real at all <laughs> clearly neeraj's friends were extremely sexist yeah actually a lot of people in this story are sexist to be honest I mean I know we are walking on thin ice here since the victim is a man but that doesn't negate the rampant misogyny in the story Anyway so Maria came back to Bangalore for her Kannada film but soon she was itching to go back to Bombay again to her friends and her family this was like an odd decision not just because Maria was almost 28 and was yet to have a major career defining role but also because she had decided to settle down maria had been involved with a young man called emil jerome matthew for some time emil was a couple of years younger than maria and they had both attended the same school she had been a senior 
Their time in school had overlapped very, very briefly though. The teachers and Emil's friends don't recall any interaction between the both of them as students. Besides, they both came from different worlds. Maria was the performer. She was a stage baby. She danced and sang and she was very accomplished. From most accounts, Maria was only about average at her studies. She did okay, she managed. Emil, on the other hand, was an all-rounder. He was good at studies, played sports. He excelled at whatever he put his mind to. He also had a lot of friends. This was a big point of difference between Maria and Emil, isn't it? They, are, they were such polar opposites. Yeah, in almost every aspect. Look, we're not comparing their academic achievements like a lot of people tend to do with this case. But their temperament was also different. For example, Emil would pursue his goals with almost like a single-minded devotion. He had a clear path for himself at all times. He couldn't clear the IIT JE exam, so he joined the Navy as a naval engineer. He excelled in the Navy as well. Once again, he was good at academics and physical fitness, both mandatory requirements in the Navy. And like me, he was a swimmer. And like everything else Emil did, he was a champion swimmer as well. And he was a diver. And in the Navy, divers are like the elite. Okay, they're like, any diver is like probably, I don't know, everybody wants to be him type. And only people with peak physical fitness can qualify to become divers in the Navy. Yeah, what what normal dives we do (laughs) doesn't qualify. This is something else. So clearly, this was a big deal. Contrast this with Maria, okay, who was talented, sure, but was finding it hard to make it into the field she had chosen. In his personal life, Emil was popular. He had a lot of friends and many of these friends, especially his buddies in the Navy, were loyal to him. For example, Meena Bagel tracked down a lot of his school friends and also those in the Navy and they mostly had good things to say about Emil. Now compare this with Maria, who didn't seem to have any friends. Seriously, both Neeraj and Emil are backed by their large group of buddies, but apart from her family, it doesn't seem like anyone else was close to Maria. She seems like a loner flitting between acquaintances. Also, and here's where the misogyny comes in, people in both Neeraj's and Emil's circles are surprised to see them both with Maria. Both the men are deemed too good-looking for her, uh, with her dark complexions and her dark circles and her less-than-striking figure. She is deemed too ordinary for both these men. And this causes problems with Emil because unlike Neeraj, Emil was serious about Maria. They had connected on Orkut a few years after school. Apparently, Maria had immediately conveyed to him that she wanted something serious and she was not looking for casual hookups. At some point, they both decided to get married. Maria's father went to Emil's house to speak to his family about a possible match. But unfortunately, Emil's family firmly said no. There were a lot of issues, according to them. Firstly, Maria was a couple of years older than Emil. They then felt like their family pedigree was better than the Sasairajas. Uh, they were an old Roman Catholic family who had migrated to Mysore from Kerala. And the Sasairajas were recent converts, going back only a couple of generations. Uh, it's kind of surprising that this would be a thing though. I mean, uh, people find all kinds of reasons for bigotry. Clearly. <laughs> so the third reason was Maria's reputation. And again, um, you will see all the misogyny. 
Maria's stint in the movies had the unpalatable side effect of sullying her reputation in her native Mysore. There were a lot of horrible assumptions that came with being a female working as an actress. Emil's family were horrified that their picture-perfect son had chosen someone like Maria who in their opinion was beneath them. Emil though was a determined man and he was set on marrying Maria, but he was also hoping that his parents would come around on her. That approval was not coming despite his best efforts <laughs> with this information let's think of maria's headspace on one hand she is with neeraj who's promising her this meaty role with a big production house balaji telefilms right it's the role of a lifetime for her and maria is holding on to this hope for dear life she believes neeraj and she believes that he will definitely get her the part when she talks to amil's friends sometimes she tells them to watch out for her on a balaji serial very soon and it's clear to everyone and it is slowly becoming clear to maria as well that neeraj may be taking her for a ride but soon enough the serial she audition audition for is officially advertised by balaji mahabharat will play on indian screens and draupadi has been cast and it's not maria on the other hand was emil they had a long distance relationship she had told some of their friends about it and we are using the term loosely here He stationed at Kochi, and they have a long distance relationship. They haven't met more than seven or eight times since their first date, despite their commitment to get married. And Emil is the reason some of Maria's friends and family are confused about her decision to suddenly go to Mumbai, and that too without a solid plan. If she has decided on being a naval officer's wife, why is she trying to be an actress? Would she have to be with him when they are married? Women who marry into the armed forces lead nomadic lives, generally moving wherever their husbands are posted. And this is going to be her life as well. So why was she going to Mumbai then? Was she tired of waiting for Emil? Was the decision prompted by absolutely zero movement on her wedding plans? Emil was probably frustrated himself. He was determined to marry Maria, but it seemed impossible to get his parents to agree. and to make matters worse he was always worried about maria's industry which was infamous for obviously the casting couch we are not sure if this was a subject th- that was broached between the both of them but emil was definitely concerned and if all this wasn't enough already emil was becoming increasingly aware of neeraj once again we don't know how much he knew about maria's relationship with neeraj Maybe she introduced him as a friend. If she did, that would have been a blatant lie. But he was beginning to sense that something was wrong. His friends in the navy, who sometimes caught snippets of their conversation with each other, could make out that he wanted to know where she was a lot. He was definitely possessive. So the reason we talk about Maria and Emil's state of mind is because in criminal law, intention and motive are important. When we talk about the verdict in the case, you will see why. So, on the evening of sixth May two thousand eight, at about nine thirty in the evening, Neeraj was settling down for dinner with his flatmates. Remember, we told you that he lived with a friend and his married cousin, who had his whole family in the flat. So, this married cousin insisted on everyone eating together. So that's what they were about to do. But around nine nine thirty, he got a call from Maria. Everyone was irritated. His flatmates did not like Maria. His unmarried friend shared a room with Neeraj, 
and he had to crash on the couch in the living room every time she slept over and his cousin's wife got bad vibes from her okay yeah there was a long conversation with neeraj during which he said little but maria was definitely agitated she insisted that he come over to her flat which was close by neeraj didn't put up a fight he apologized to his flatmates and headed to maria's house before her call to neeraj maria had been on a call with emil in fact she and emil had been in touch the whole day on the 6th according to the call logs later accessed by the police emil called her at 11:30 am then 4:30 pm then 6:15 pm 6:30 pm 9 pm 10 pm and 11:30 pm something was definitely wrong because emil was agitated around 11:15 pm emil's roommate came back from a party emil asked for the keys to his bike telling him that his relationship was in trouble and he had to go to mumbai straight away to salvage things with maria now there are two things to note first of all emil is a naval officer he can he can't just leave the base as per protocol he should have informed his superiors and taken permission before leaving this would have gone on his permanent record he didn't do that in fact his friend and his roommate saw how agitated he was and offered to drop him off at the airport in kochi instead of letting him drive all the way he was sure that in the state of mind that emil was in he would crash the bike and he had reminded him multiple times before emil got on his flight to call the commanding officer as soon as possible to let him know that he was in mumbai emil didn't and this friend later got into trouble for covering for him the timeline here is very important so please please listen carefully at around 9 pm in the night on 6th may emil called another friend of his asking for atm pin although the friend didn't ask him why he needed the pin we know that this was used to book an air india flight from kochi to mumbai this detail is significant because back in mumbai Maria called Neeraj at 9:30 p.m. half an hour after Emil booked his ticket. Hmm so the question is whether at 9:30 p.m. when she was insisting that Neeraj come over to her apartment was she aware that Emil would be at her home in the morning and if she did then why invite Neeraj? Uh so this might have been a setup. It's so hard to say like we don't know what they talked about you know because but i'm looking at the facts alone and it's very suspicious that maria asked neeraj to come home after emil books his tickets to mumbai like why call neeraj at all okay maybe they talked about how neeraj's promises were all fake that he had been misleading her about the balaji role and maybe emil just wanted to like confront neeraj about it i don't know okay so then why not just call neeraj and what was the rush i mean i don't know if i'm stressing this enough like he was mm. in the navy and he couldn't just leave the base without informing his ceo Remember his friend got into trouble for just covering for him. Oh god, yeah, maybe she told him about her infidelity. I mean, that explains why he was so agitated, right? He told his friend that it was a matter of his life. It would definitely explain the rage. His friend told the police that Emil was literally trembling. Yeah, so it is important to know that the only first person account of the events of May 6th and 7th comes from Maria. Maria told the police that she mentioned to Emil that Neeraj was quote acting funny unquote. What is that? I I don't know. You think Neeraj was trying to like force himself on her? 
um i don't think so because i think if he had she would have definitely mentioned that to the police because then it would have helped her case right and don't forget she calls neeraj she insists that he come over to her place at 9:30 in the night assuming that he was acting funny whatever that means when was he acting funny like at what time funny so she doesn't mention the exact time she just says that neeraj was acting funny that day okay so according to maria before she asked him to come over but if yeah. that's the case then why ask him to come over at all like why invite him if he was making her uncomfortable so the timing of the call on which she claims to tell this to emil is important it was during the 11:30 pm call by this time emil is on the bike with his friend and they are already on their way to the airport the friend literally stopped the bike and emil went on the edge of the road to talk to her in private so this friend witnesses the call but cannot hear exactly what is being said and maria claims that emil asks her if he should come to mumbai and she tells him no neeraj will leave after dinner and he knows that neeraj is at her flat because earlier the same friend had heard him ask maria what neeraj was doing at her place so late in the night okay so he's already suspecting these two yeah yeah but does she know that he is already on his way yeah so that's unclear i honestly don't get this woman's thought process to be very honest <laughs> it looks like this had been an intense day for maria and emil they had been on the phone practically all day whatever they discussed had been serious enough for emil to break protocol and buy tickets for mumbai and this was uncharacteristic of him because normally emil seems to be like a straight laced guy yeah but emil was known for his fits of rage though this is something that many of his friends mentioned from uh, different phases in his life like his best friend from childhood mentioned how a small prank at school snowballed into a big fist fight because emil took offense at the prank even his navy friends talk about his temper this is not looking good for emil nah and it's about to get much worse so even at the airport emil talked to maria before boarding his flight eventually maria's phone died and maria told him to call on neeraj's phone who was still in her apartment look maria is playing very dangerous mind games okay at this point i can only <laughs> think of two scenarios either they both decided to kill neeraj and plan the murder or maria was pitting one against the other why else would you do this to your fiance she had given emil an ultimatum that day you know like because their marriage was in limbo she was like you have to marry me or we break up that's what emil told his friend later so i think he was agitated so she gives her very possessive fiance an ultimatum then she calls up neeraj whatever their relationship is boyfriend affair friends with benefits blah 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 whatever <laughs> and promptly lets emil know that neeraj is at her apartment late in the night yeah according to call logs emil called neeraj twice before boarding his flight once at 11:41 pm and then again at 11:55 pm at night because apparently maria's phone had died okay so here's the thing in mumbai i would not consider those hours late because let's be real you and i have been on the streets in mumbai for later than that much later yeah that's true but to emil who is from mysore and living in kochi this is an ungodly hour for a random man to be at his fiance's flat for no apparent reason like i said either maria is dumb or she's too shrewd for her own good yeah yeah absolutely 
So Emil was clearly tense while waiting for his flight. At the same time in Mumbai at Maria's flat, Neeraj seemed relaxed. We mentioned in the beginning how his mother Neelam used to call him at night. He spoke to his mother while at Maria's flat. She didn't notice anything weird. He sounded jovial and normal. And then at around 1:30 a.m. on 7th May, while he was still at uh, Maria's flat, two of his friends called him up. One of them, Nisha, even spoke to Maria. To Nisha, everything sounded very normal. If there was tension because of Emil, it didn't reflect in either of their voices. Either Neeraj or both Neeraj and Maria did not know that Emil was about to come home that morning. And that call with Nisha was the last any of his friends heard from Neeraj. He went missing on seventh May. So before we talk about Emil's arrival in Mumbai, let's skip a little further ahead to late afternoon on seventh May. While his sister Shikha was desperately calling uh, Neeraj in Mumbai and getting no response, Neeraj's friends got a call from Maria. Maria told them that Neeraj had left her home at night, but he had left his phone behind. She told them to either ask Neeraj to collect it from her apartment or whether they could come to the coffee day near her place and she could hand over the phone to them. So his friends were a little nervous by this point. They were under the impression that Neeraj was at Maria's house. But she was saying that he had left at night and she had no idea where he was. So they went to her building and to their surprise instead of inviting them upstairs to her room she came down with mm. the phone and gave it to them. So this is right off the bat very shady. Yeah. So the friends who had gone to collect the phone later told the police that at this time they were really not thinking that Neeraj was in trouble. They were thinking that this was just some elaborate prank. He was playing on them. Uh, they thought that he was probably upstairs. He was still in Maria's apartment. So they just sort of invited themselves over to her place and just they kind of just barged into her apartment. Yeah, and if Maria was taken aback, she didn't resist. So when they were inside, they called out to Neeraj. but instead of neeraj they bumped into another guy in maria's bedroom emil jerome matthew maria introduced them to emil and she told them that emil was her fiance and emil was just generally polite with everybody navy training yeah but his friends were now uneasy they decided then and there that they would report neeraj as missing and they asked maria to come with them and maria went with them to the police station willingly claiming that she too was very worried about neeraj Later in the day Neelam Grover would call Neeraj again having been comforted by her daughter in the morning that Neeraj had been on a shoot and hence blissfully unaware that her son had apparently vanished His friend Harish would answer the phone and since he didn't know that Neelam was clueless he blurted out the worst possible thing a parent has to ever hear about their child So even after the complaint was registered and Amarnath Grover and his brother-in-law arrived in Mumbai to search for Neeraj the case wasn't gathering a lot of steam and it would remain on the back burner till Amarnath Grover approached Rakesh Madia If you are from Mumbai you already know this name Rakesh Madia has been played in movies by actors he has cracked high profile cases like the Bombay blast of 93 the Zaveri bazaar blast etc He's written a book you can read it if you like so we're not going to expostulate on Rakesh Madia's career for our purposes uh, Rakesh Madia was in charge of the Mumbai crime branch which is an elite division within the Mumbai police uh, he assigned this case to inspector Rao Rane for both of them the first suspect was Maria Neeraj was last seen at her apartment the watchman at Maria's building remembered him entering but not leaving 
by the time crime branch started interrogating maria emil had already gone back to kochi he had told his friends that the issue with maria was now sorted and they had decided to finally get married his friends noted that how the frequency of their calls increased exponentially you know emil had started waking up early in the morning and reading the bible but other than this there was no noticeable difference in his demeanor in the meanwhile maria called up her family and asked them to come to mumbai because her friend disappeared and the police were quote unquote harassing her so her whole family her parents her brother richard her sister veronica came to mumbai trying to wrap their head around the issue she would also be on the phone with emil every day who used to tutor her on how to answer the questions the police were posing because the police were definitely posing a lot of questions every day maria would be called in for questioning and inspector rao rani and his colleagues would grill her maria on her part was being instructed by emil on what to tell the policeman but neither of them were criminal masterminds their lies were easily detectable she told the policeman that during the day she and emil had gone out in a taxi to roam around mumbai this was easily refuted the watchman in maria's building had seen emil and maria carry heavy bags into a santro before they both left the santro belonged to a man named kiran who was sort of friends with maria when kiran was tracked down he told the police that he had no idea why maria borrowed his car she had called him out of the blue she had practically begged kiran for his car telling him that her fiance was in town and she needed a car to take him around mumbai after he had handed over the car to maria he wondered for a second why the fuck didn't he take a taxi like everyone <laughs> else in mumbai she didn't return the car on time but she returned it with a full tank even then she tried to shove the money into kiran's hands kiran was concerned and he did take a perfunctory look at the car and she gave it back to him but it seemed normal to kiran at that time when the police processed his car they found blood on the back seat the blood type matched meeraj so now they had enough to tie not just her but also ml to the murder because he had been with her in the car the whole time they stopped for petrol the petrol pump operator remembered emil because he bought petrol in a can the operator told him that this was illegal and he couldn't sell him petrol like that but emil had been his usual charming navy self and told him that he was a navy man that he could trust him and that he was not about to do something nefarious they had also stopped for a lighter on their way the panwadi wala remembered emil another lie that maria told was about neeraj's phone she told everyone that neeraj had left the phone in her apartment so the phone should have pinged in andheri where she lived but at around 5:15 in the evening neeraj got a text from a colleague this pinged at dahisar chaknaka if the phone had been in her apartment in andheri the whole day on 7th then how did it ping at dahisar for reference the two areas are about 2 to 2 and a half hours away from each other this was in fact the most damning evidence for the prosecution another important piece of evidence was maria herself maria was covered in bruises on the 7th there were knife cuts on maria's hands this is something that kiran had noticed as well when she had come to his house in the morning of the 7th to take the car with emil kiran probably missed the knife marks on her palm he only saw the bruises on her shoulder and chest and assumed that they were love bites excuse me <laughs> excuse me 
एक्सक्यूज मी देर इज द वर्ल्ड ओके वर्ल्ड ऑफ डिफरेंस बिटवीन ब्रूजेस एंड लव बाइट्स मैन यू कांट कन्फ्यूज द टू यू कांट नो यू कांट <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he was just trying to justify the bruises, you know. Like nobody wants to believe the worst in anyone except me, who thinks every stranger is secretly a serial killer. No. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, moving on. Like this debate won't end here. <laughs> so, the police had seen Maria's bruises and they had asked her about them. She told them that they were love bites as well. Thankfully, <laughs> see, see, stellar, stellar movement, police movement. which stellar police movement we don't point these out very often but yeah yeah the police did not confuse love bites and bruises <laughs> when they searched her home they found more damning evidence there was a fresh coat of paint in the bedroom the wall colors were different from the rest of the house the police tracked down the painter she had hired for the job who told them that maria paid them for a rush job bro <laughs> बेडरूमेंटेड <laughs> oh and by the way the painters noticed dark reddish brown stains on the bedroom wall. Hmm I wonder what they could be Aditi. <laughs> oh yeah the painter was taken aback as well. Yeah. Oh Maria told them that these were there since she moved in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maria's debit card charges showed that she had bought new curtains and a bread knife from the nearby <laughs> Hypercity mall. Okay this was strange okay because she had bought like new curtains from the same store a couple of days back the new curtains were exactly the same as the previous ones that hung in her room traces of neeraj's blood were found on the latch on the front door and certain upholsteries ah so it was not like uh, spit out pan <laughs> even with these debit card charges like if you're going to buy something as damning as curtains and bread knife right like i would pay cash yeah I would, not, i would not have a paper trail listen aditi stop <laughs> we are not giving advice okay yes sorry so we have plausible deniability for future yes. please okay. please we don't need that on the list of our problems <laughs> anyway the police had all this evidence but a lot of this was circumstantial they needed a confession and after days of lying to the police maria could not tolerate it anymore they finally cracked her on 21st may 2008 nearly 14 days after neeraj vanished maria confirmed that he was dead he had been dead this whole time he had died on the morning of 7th may 2008 when emil had arrived at her flat to find neeraj in her bedroom in his boxers and nothing else emil flew into a rage like he had done so many times before only this time it was going to be fatal Emil was a strong man. He was an athlete, he was a swimmer, he was a diver in the navy. And even though Neeraj was well built, he was probably not a match for Emil. They fought and Maria said that she tried to intervene but it was of no use. She saw Emil grab a knife from her kitchen and attack Neeraj with it. Neeraj fell down. Maria screamed 
but Anil told her to shut up or that he would kill her as well. Neeraj was dead. His blood was soaking the floor of Maria's bedroom. Both Emil and Maria were now covered in blood. They spent the next three hours scrubbing everything clean. But sometime in the middle of this cleaning session, while they were both still blood-soaked, Emil drew Maria in and had sex with her. <laughs> Did this really happen? Dude, it sounds like some cheap B-grade thriller. Yeah, I mean, we only have Maria's word to go on. Also, not the worst part. Maria says that once they were done cleaning, she stepped into the bathroom to clean herself while Emil was outside. Emil apparently knocked on the door. She opened to let him in and he forced himself on her again. She uses the word rape. Oh my God, where is the story going? Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And Meenal Bhagis says in her book that according to Rakesh Maria, this was quote-unquote tactical, right? Because this some, this was some kind of psychological mm-hmm. power game that he was playing with her. A man had been murdered and this was going to be their secret. Now they were both bound by the same thing. Ugh. To some kind of like dominance ritual, I think, for Emil. Yeah, at least according to Rakesh Maria. And if this is indeed the true version of events. Gross. So, anyway, then Emil took Neeraj's body into the bathroom and hacked it into pieces at the joints, neck, the elbows and the torso, at the knees and ankles. There were many rumours about how he had been hacked in up to 300 pieces. These rumours are not true, obviously. Plus, it's very hard to chop up a human being. I mean, okay, I'm telling only <laughs> from readings, not from personal <laughs> experience. Just just like a disclaimer, I, I puke when I see blood. Okay, like I, I do. Whatever, okay. I do not have bodies in my basement. You have a basement? No, I live in an apartment. You know I live <laughs> in an apartment. You've been to my house. I do not have a basement, Aditi. Move on. <laughs> Moving on. So they hacked up Neeraj's body. They also removed the blood-covered bed sheets, pillowcases, the curtains and bundled them into large suitcases and plastic bags. It was Emil's idea to borrow a car from Kirin. They loaded everything into the car and left Maria's apartment. This was when they were spotted by the guard. Maria and Emil drove to a place called Manor, about 90 kilometers from Mumbai, on Palgar Road. It's a little resort town where Emil and Emil had gone for a picnic once. They found a secluded spot and took out all the bags and suitcases from the car and doused them with the petrol Emil had bought illegally, using his job with the Navy to establish his bona fides and then set it ablaze. Later, Maria would take the officers of the crime branch along the same route to show them where to find Neeraj's remains. So far, the police had been reluctant to arrest and interrogate Emil because the evidence was not strong enough for the civilian police to arrest a Navy man. There are strict rules about this. But after Maria's confession and after they found Neeraj's burnt remains, Rakesh Maria gave a press conference naming Maria and Emil for the murder of Neeraj Grover. Emil was finally picked up from Kochi and brought to Mumbai. Emil never gave a statement of his own, even though Maria's statement laid the blame almost entirely on him. In her version, she had no hand in killing Neeraj. She claims that she screamed when she realized that Neeraj was dead, but her next-door neighbours, who clearly could see inside her home, hear most noises, 
never heard any screaming in the morning from Maria's apartment. Initially, Emil told the police that whatever Maria had told them was probably true, maybe under the impression that she would never rat him out. But later on, Emil's defense team would try to establish that Neeraj was already dead by the time Emil arrived in Maria's apartment in the morning. Wow. Yeah. So at the trial, the prosecution relied heavily on Maria's confession. The problem with the whole situation was that though there was a lot of circumstantial evidence, the sequence of events at Maria's apartments could not be proven beyond reasonable doubt. If Emil and Maria had to be convicted for murder, the prosecution had to show that there was planning and intent to kill Neeraj by both of them. This is why it matters whether Maria knew that Emil was coming to Mumbai at around 9 in the night before she called Neeraj. It should be noted that Emil called Neeraj on the morning of 7th May 2008. According to him, that was because he didn't remember the way to Maria's apartment and he called Neeraj to get directions. But that would mean he knew Neeraj was with Maria during the wee hours of the morning and that he had spent the night there. So, did he come to Mumbai with the intention of killing him? If so, then this would definitely be murder. It shows motive and preparation and planning. Plus, if Maria knew, then she too would be guilty of murder or at least abetment to murder. So these facts were probably not established by the prosecution because neither of them were convicted for murder by trial court. Maria was charged with destruction of evidence. She was in prison for three years. The verdict was delivered in 2011 and she had spent uh, the time between 2008 and 11 already in prison because she was in custody. So she was basically released on time served. So Maria essentially walked out of a trial a free woman. Emile, on the other hand, was charged with culpable homicide not amounting to murder because Emile had killed Neeraj under grave provocation and was thus deprived of his power of self-control, at least in the judge's estimation. And this is just like the Nanavati case where Pre Mahuja was murdered. We'll discuss that maybe in a different episode. Yeah, the Nanavati case is like the case law. Students are taught on the topic of grave and sudden provocation. Yeah. So anyway, Emil was sentenced to 10 years. So he went back to prison to serve the rest of his term. In short, if Maria was lying, she 100% screwed Emil over. But if not, then a monster was brought to justice. So this was the Neeraj Grover murder case. A lot of you asked for this many, many, many times. We wanted to cover the Nanavati case and this one together. But then we realized this was a biggie in itself. Drop in a comment if you'd like us to cover the Nanavati case as well later on. We hope you liked this episode. Please, please rate and review us on Apple. We have kept our end of the bargain and shared every review we've gotten. We will continue that in the future as well. Please follow us on social media. Follow us wherever you listen. It's the easiest way to support the podcast. So that's it. You can buy our merch as well. Our, you'll find the link to our merch store in the show notes. So that's it. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.